Well, when last we left him, Mephibosheth was reflecting on King David's leadership and successes. Hello, Rev Brad here. If you missed last week's episode, my very best mate, Fraser Kay, a minister in Glasgow, has lent his creativity and his voice to From the Touchline while I'm on sabbatical. So sit back and listen to part two of Mephibosheth's story. I'll join in at the end with some questions for reflection like last week. Let's go. He's found the space and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made him in and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're on the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! After his coronation, our arch enemies, the Philistines, were none too pleased, so they mustered their entire army and attacked. Twice. Each time, David smashed them. Back-to-back defeats of our main enemy. The sense in the whole country was like we'd finally stood up to a great bully. You remember the feeling forever. We were on top, the Philistines on the bottom. It seems everyone is delighted with David's leadership. The Lord is clearly with him. Don't you think it's helpful if you've got national leaders who obey God and do what's right for the people? David's family grew and grew and Saul's diminished. I'm one of his few remaining descendants, a lame child turned lame young man. No threat to anyone, let alone someone like David. The way we do things here, when a new king comes to power, he often removes or kills every last survivor of the previous leader's family in order to prevent a rebellion. No point with me, even if they discovered me in this remote village. What sort of threat was I? I'd need more than one of my walking sticks to throw at David and topple him from his throne. So I was safe, forgotten, irrelevant. Or so I thought. Just last year, one quiet afternoon, we heard what sounded like a low thunder coming from the west, drawing closer to the village. Shutters opened, heads peered out of windows, and children ran onto the main street. Not one, but two chariots were bolting towards our small town, a long trail of dust behind them. As they neared the village, they drew up, slowly making their way up through the main street, not far from where we lived. The children followed, dust getting thrown up among scurrying feet. I peered out from our small main window, As the dust drifted and settled, you could see two horses standing side by side in front of each chariot, sweating and gleaming from the journey. Each bore a leather saddle with purple cord around the edges. That could mean only one thing. Those in the chariots were royal messengers from the capital. They must have come from the palace in Jerusalem. In each chariot there was a soldier and what looked like a court official. Why all the pomp, I mused, peering out the window. 
Weren't they just delivering a message? I heard one of the court officials asking a village elder where McKeer's house was. The one I lived in. My heart rate doubled. A court official clambered out of one of the chariots and came up to the house, accompanied by a soldier. I quickly grabbed my sticks, stumbled to the front door and opened it. You can imagine how I was feeling, afraid and confused. Sent by King David, they confirmed. You are Mephibosheth? Yes, I answered, trembling. The official read out from a scroll in his hand. You are summoned to appear before the king. You will accompany us to Jerusalem. What does the king want with me? I inquired. We don't know what the king wants with you, but you are to come with us to the royal palace. Collect some clothes. We will be stopping overnight twice on the way, at Jabesh Gilead and then Jericho. After that, it's a final short journey to Jerusalem. Now I was totally confused. Called by the king? Personally? Maybe it wasn't such bad news after all. David was reported to be a different kind of king, one who made more careful decisions than Grandad Saul. He'd been a little rash at times. David could have easily arranged for me to be killed if he had so wished. Then again, I was no threat. So why summon me to the palace? My mind raced. On the way I learned that Ziba, one of my grandfather's remaining servants, had been called to the palace a few days before me. He was the one who had told King David where I lived. I wondered if he'd told David what happened to my feet. After our second overnight stop at Jericho, it was just a few more hours to the capital. I put on my best clothes and covered my feet as well as I could. I couldn't hide the fact I'm lame, but I needed to look my best. It had been a long time since I'd been near Jerusalem. With its high walls and towers, it was now a lot more impressive than the last time I'd seen it. When we finally arrived at the palace inside the city, the court officials ordered the soldiers to help me off the chariot. They slowly led me through a giant set of gates, guarded by four soldiers on each side, and instructed me to sit in a small room, just inside the main palace doors. One official disappeared, while the other stayed with me. The soldiers departed. It wasn't as if I'd get into much trouble. Even if I could run, where would I run? After a short time, I was escorted slowly along several short hallways and hobbled through various large doorways, me with my two sticks. I had to sit down for a short time before I plodded on. At the end of a long, broad corridor, which I hoped was the last, was a tall door wide enough to fit six people. We plodded down towards it. Standing at either side were two particularly hard-looking soldiers, each with an upright spear in hand and shield nearby, probably part of David's bodyguard. Like much of the palace surroundings and interior, the door was made of cedar wood. 
On it were carved lions and bears, their claws overlaid with pieces of carved cypress wood. This must be it, I thought. The attendant knocked on the door, and it gently opened. And there he was, directly ahead, sitting on a gigantic opulent throne with room enough for two. What a sight that must have been. Can't say I've ever been in Mephibosheth's shoes. Well, I have a few questions for you to consider at the end of this segment two or part two of Mephibosheth's story. First thing, do you feel forgotten or irrelevant? Certainly that's what Mephibosheth felt. And maybe the beautiful game has abandoned you, left you behind. Do you know that you have value and identity apart from football? I've learned that sometimes that's one of the toughest questions that footballers, managers, that they ask when they get away from the game. Here's a second question. Have you ever been, quote unquote, summoned either to the boss, the general manager, the gaffer's office? What did it do to you emotionally, mentally? Did it turn out the way you thought it would? Better? Worse? Reflect on that moment for a while. Consider what you've maybe learned and gained in experience from having one of those summoning moments. Our last question. Who has been the highest ranking person you've ever met? Is it a politician? A president? A king? What did it feel like? Was there a sense of largesse? Do you remember your first impressions? Well, thanks for listening to From the Touchline. This is Rev Brad. We'll be back next week with part three of Mephibosheth's story.